Great is our Lord, worthy to be praised. You can have a seat if you have your Bibles. Take them to Psalm chapter number 72. Psalm chapter number 72. I'm going to look at, uh, read for you the last uh, 17, 18, and 19 nearing the end of the chapter. And uh, I'm going to take my thoughts basically from verse number 18. I want to give you a little bit of the surrounding context. Psalm chapter 72, we'll start reading at verse number 17. Psalm 72, verse 17. His name, talking about the Lord, the God of the earth, His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in Him. All nations shall call Him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. And blessed be His glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. I want to talk to you this morning on this subject, the wonderful works of God, the wonderful works of God. Let's seek the Lord's face in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. I thank you for the Lord Jesus. God, it is indeed your breath in our lungs. That breath that you breathed in Adam to give him life so many eons ago is being echoed from generation to generation. We hold a breath in our lungs that is yours. You may you give us life. God, I pray you would help us to recognize that this morning. Not only as the creator God, but the God that does only wonderful works. Your wonderful works, Father. God, I pray that you would help us to not only see those works, but God, that you would also have us to respond to those works in worshiping you. That's what we've done We've, we've come for this morning to gather together to give something to you. Not necessarily to take something, although when we leave today, no doubt your word will give us something in our hearts to take with us, to strengthen us, to mature us, to help us have more faith and trust in you. But God, we've come to give you something. God, I pray you'd show us that from your word this morning, that you are befitting such sacrifice of praise even the fruit of our lips. Father, bless the time together. If there are those here without a saving knowledge of you and your dear Son, the Lord Jesus, may He be evidently clear, uh, clearly seen before them and may they respond to the call of the gospel and know you in saving faith. But God, have your will and way in our worship this morning. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Rodney Smith, also known as Gypsy Smith was a great evangelist of the 20th century. He, he never had any formal theological training, but after teaching himself how to read and write, he trusted what God wrote in his word and he acted upon it. Gypsy Smith, uh, during his preaching, oftentimes would break into singing and uh, something that I try to shy away from because, you know, music just covers a multitude of, of bad voices. And 
And so, but Gypsy Smith was undaunted in his ability to just kind of belt out a, a portion of a hymn during one of his sermons. And someone met him after his uh, message one time and told him that if he would sing from his diaphragm, his, you know, his belly here, his, the muscles in his, in his belly, that he could, he could sing a lot better if he sang from his diaphragm. Gypsy Smith replied, I don't want to sing from my diaphragm. I want to sing from my heart. <laughs> I think you can recognize what he's trying to say there. You see, Gypsy Smith uh, was a man that was, had a deep and profound love for God, love for his ministry, preaching God's Word on into his 80s. Later in his life, someone asked him, what is the secret of your long ministry? Gypsy Smith replied with a tear in his eye, I never lost the wonder of it all. I never lost the wonder of it all. You know, that's something that I think is wrong with many of us today. Is that we can easily be accustomed to the, the repetitive nature of worship and devotion. The, the repetitive aspect of those conforming things that we do as far as being a Christian and following God. And we can lose that wonder. We can get over the wonder of God. Many times I believe we've got often we've gotten over the fact that our God is the God that does the impossible. That he, he is a God whose ability has not diminished one bit over the passage of time. We have forgotten and gotten over the fact that as our text says that he is a God that always does wondrous things. Our God is a great God. Therefore, everything that God does is great. As a matter of fact, our God is so great that He can only do great things. It's time we start seeing our God as a God, as the psalmist says here, that only does wondrous things. Every one of us here today can do this. You can leave here today seeing Jehovah and His co-equal, co-eternal, co-powerful Son, Jesus Christ, as a God that only does wondrous things by laying hold of three facts that I want to bring out of this one verse of Scripture. Verse number 18. Three facts and we'll be done. Number one, the first fact I want you to see is that He is a God that is deserving of praise. That is deserving of praise. Notice in verse number 18, it starts with the word blessed there. Blessed be the Lord God. The psalmist here, he's using a word that is often connected with praise and worship in the scriptures. Matter of fact, the first occurrence of this word is in, is in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 5 in verse 2. And it is in Deborah, uh, Deborah's song of praise to God. And where it is exclaimed, it exclaimed, Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel. That word praise that she sings there is the same Hebrew word that starts verse 18, blessed. So it can be translated in both ways. 
Again, the word speaks of an expression of praise and worship on the part of God's people. Coming from our lips, it is a word of blessing and praise to God. When the psalmist uses the word blessed, he is praising God. If we're going to see the wonder of God's ability, we must first align our hearts with who He really is. He is one that is deserving of praise. Notice, first of all, we see a principle of worship. The word blessed, as I said, it speaks of one of how one feels about God. It's our mindset. The mindset of a person that would use this phrase is a person that doesn't have a cold heart toward God. These are not words of someone who has no room for God in his life. When someone says, blessed be the Lord God, it is someone that has God at the forefront of their minds and hearts. Some people, you know, treat God like a spare tire. I was talking to one of my co-workers the other day, and uh, he was uh, talking about when he purchased his wife a car, he was looking at the car, inspecting it, and he, he lifted up, you know how they, they put that little donut of a, of a spare tire in the, in the back of the trunk, and you have to lift up something to see. Well, he lifted up, and there wasn't nothing there. And uh, he, he said, uh, hey, it's missing the spare tire. I said, well, we're just going to give you some fix-a-flat, you know, or something like that, and you can put it in the back and you'll be fine. He's like, no, 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 I'm not leaving until I have a spare tire. It's good to have a spare tire. It's always good. You never know when you're going to hit something, pull off on the side of the road, and need to, need to go on a journey and change the tire. But a lot of times, I said all that to say this, a lot of times we treat our God like a spare tire. We keep him in the trunk until we have a flat. We use God uh, and, and don't show a genuine, persistent love of God. The, life, the only time we think about him is when the, when the journey gets rough. When we're on the side of the road and we need help. When, everything, when the wheels fall off, that's when we start thinking about God. But to bless God is a foundational principle of worship. To do what the psalmist is doing here, to bless the God of heaven, he is to be in forefront of our minds and heart. You have not, listen, when, and, and I appreciate you being here today. I'm so thankful that you're here, and don't get me wrong here when, when I say this, but I'm glad you're here. But the reality is, you have not worshipped God just by coming in and sitting on a pew, and being sprayed with music and a message. Worship is bestowing upon the Lord the honor and the glory and the praise and the adoration that is due Him just because of who He is. I'm glad you attend. I'm glad that you're here. But don't check it off the list as if you have worship. If your mind is a thousand miles away and you're just occupying space for a good hour, well, let's be honest, an hour and 15 minutes with Brother Rob. It's not counted as worship unless we focus our minds on Him, unless He's at the forefront, unless we are able to say, Blessed, praise unto you that is deserving 
upon Him. Worship Him, worshiping Him for who He is. You see, if we're going to start seeing God as a God who is wondrous in all He does, it is not up to Him to come down and do wondrous things before our eyes. It is up to us to begin to believe and to trust that He is who He says He is in His Word. Listen, Noah believed God long before there was ever a flood. Abraham believed God long before uh, Isaac's birth. Moses believed God long before there was a burning bush. Matter of fact, in Moses' in Moses's life, in the story of Moses, God takes him to a place and says, How will I know that you're going to use me to deliver God's people? He said, Well, when you stand on the mountain, when you stand at the end of life, then you'll know. Oftentimes we don't know the end. God doesn't tell us the end of the story. We have to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm going to worship Him. I'm going to bless His name because of who He is right now. That's the attitude to take towards this verse is to bless Him with our lips right now. David believed God long before a giant fell. For us to see the wonder working of God, there must be a blessed blessing to God on our lips. To see the one, you know, when, when I read this verse, who only doth wondrous things, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when I read that? Well, I don't see, I, mean, I don't see miracles every day, Brother Ronnie, you know. I mean, I get up, go to work, come back, eat dinner, go to bed, go to sleep, wake up in the morning, do the whole thing over again. And to be honest, I don't see, I don't see much of a wonder. But that is until you start putting God in front of you and seeing Him as He, as he expressed in God's Word. When we start seeing Him as the God that is above all things, created all things, that does all things, we could look at our, I mean, take a look at your hand. Take a look at that hand. Just simply close that hand into a fist and open it back up. There's not a, there's not a machine on this planet with all the technology that it has that can do such a thing as what is in front of you. I'm not talking, to, I'm talking about blood pumping, sinew. I'm talking about capillaries. I'm talking about all the things that go on in this. And then there's not a, and, and your life is not filled with miracles? <laughs> what do you mean? You're like, if God is in the forefront, if we see things from the perspective that God only does wondrous things, we could look at something so simple as, as the closing of our fists and our hands and see the wonder-working power of a God in heaven, a God that only does wondrous things. It's a principle of worship. Worship is vital for us to see God as He truly is doing wondrous things. And notice also not only a principle of worship, there's also a posture of worship. The word blessed here has another connotation to it. The word also describes a bodily posture. It literally means to kneel before God. Psalm 95, 6. Listen to this verse. Oh, come, let us worship and Bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. That word kneel right there, same word. 
just translated in a different English word. Same Hebrew word translated in our English as kneel. When we picture the psalmist then, when in verse number 18, as the psalmist David, if you'll read the headers on this psalm, this is a psalm of David toward King Solomon. It's, it's about, its intent is for Solomon, but as you read it, it, it is over the top. And it is a prophecy concerning Lord Jesus. If you'll read all of 72 with an eye for Jesus, it'll bless your soul. You just go back and do that. We're not going to go over the whole psalm and all God's people said amen. We're not going to go over the whole psalm. But in Psalm 72, you read that with an eye of Jesus, I'll tell you what, you'll be shouting, you'll be stomping down corn after a while. It's a blessing. But in this passage of Scripture, when, he, when we see this man saying blessed, here's how we need to see him. We need to see, picture the psalmist David with these words on his list and we see him on his knees, maybe his arms lifted to heaven with tears filling his eyes saying, Blessed be the Lord God. Blessed be God. You know, kneeling in and of itself, kneeling is also an act of acknowledging a superior. Kneeling is an act of reverence an act of obedience, an act of respect. Kneeling is an act of submission and yielding to another. Now listen, know this. The altar up front here is no gauge of spirituality. I want you to know that right off. This, this was something, uh, the mourner's benches down here is a Johnny-come-lately. As far as, as, as Christianity is concerned, it was developed by... Uh, by Charles Finney and his revival meetings in New York and the Second Great Awakening. And it's called Mourner's Benches, uh, uh, or uh, uh, places of contemplation. They have little places where people would go to, uh, to be dealt with. That's what these Mourner's Benches kind of represent, kind of are here. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you're a, judgment, a good judgment of your spirituality is whether you come down to an altar and pray or not. But I am saying this. And I know physical aspects of our bodies oftentimes can't allow us to be able to kneel and to pray. But there is something about a heart attitude of humbling ourselves and even finding ourselves on the ground kneeling before our God and worshiping God. You know, I was thinking about it the other day. We sing more about bowing down to God than we actually do bow down to God. God. You ever notice that? Well, there's uh, so many times in our hymns and our songs we sing all about bowing. I used to think about that when I was a kid. I used to think about that when I was a kid. All these people talking about we bow down before you and they're all standing up. <laughs> I used to think it was funny when I was a kid, but the reality is we sing more about it than actually doing it. And I'm not saying the physical act is some kind of special thing before God, but that's what the psalmist is doing. He is kneeling before God. He is attributing to God. His praise, his adoration, he is, he is symbolizing his obedience and his yieldedness to God. I tell you what, there ought to be a place in time, in our day, in our week, that we clear off a spot. And just say, God, I didn't come to ask you for anything. I didn't come to cry for help. I come to worship you and to bless your name because of who you are. Not for anything else, but for who you are. You are deserving 
of praise. Everything belongs to Him. Thank you, God, and you are praiseworthy. If we would see a God of wondrous work among His people, then we must give God the proper acknowledgement of who you is, of who He is. I'm telling you this. If we will start seeing God in the proper perspective as who He really is, then we'll start recognizing the wonderful works of God that He does all the time in our lives. Notice second of all, He is a God that is deserving of His praise. He is a God that is distinguished in His person. That is distinguished in His person. Look at verse number 18. Blessed, praiseworthy, kneeling before, blessed, blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel. Right there in this brief verse, we are given three names of God. Three names. You recognize that God, Jehovah God, has many names. If you go through the scripture, you will find time and time again many names for God. That doesn't mean that he's confused about what he is or who he is, that, that he is He's not schizophrenic and thinks he's a different person. No, each, each name gives insight into the person of God and yields to us something of God's character, of his personality uh, to reveal to us about who he is. Here in this verse, we're given three names for God. I want to look at them closely. Number one, I want you to see he is the permanent God. Permanent God. Notice Blessed be the Lord. That, that Lord in the Bible should be a word that is in all caps. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It, it may have the L uh, larger than the O-R-D, but if you look at it, you should see that it is in all caps. That indication in your Bible is very specific. It says something specific about what's being communicated. Because the capital L-O-R-D, all caps, is an indication of the Hebrew name Jehovah or Yahweh. However it's pronounced. No one really knows how to pronounce the, the name. But it's significant. It is the significant and sacred name of God. Many people have tried to describe this name. They, they describe it as the great and terrible name. The separate name. The unutterable name, the ineffable name, the incommunicate name, the holy name, the distinguished name of God. You know, this name actually is in itself called the tetragrammaton. If you ever hear that word, a very technical word, tetragrammaton. And what it indicates is that it is a four-letter name with no vowels. That's why... Uh, the four-letter name is Y-H-V-H. Y-H-V-H. And that's why so many people, some people fight over it. Some people fight over how the name of God should be pronounced. But we really don't know. Nobody knows how to pronounce this name because it does not have any vowels. In order for us to communicate it, we have to add vowel sounds to it. Jehovah, Jehovah, or, or Yahweh, Yahweh. We have to add these consonants, I mean these vowels, and nobody knows really how to say it. 
But the name of God, if you're going to try to write it down, was Y-H-V-H, Yahweh or Yahweh or, or Jehovah. Now, talking about writing it down, to the Jews of that day, they were very careful, you know, in, in, in copying the scriptures, they, had, they were very careful when it came to that incommunicable name. As a matter of fact, the name was so sacred that it was not expressly written. And it was never spoken. As a matter of fact, if you go to Jewish websites today and you look online and see them talking about God, talking about theological matters, you will find if it's in English, when it comes to the word God, it's G-D. You won't find it G-O-D. Because it's still sacred to them, even though they've missed it, when it comes to God's Son and the saving grace of Him. But they still see that name as sacred. Well, back when they copied the Scriptures by hand, when they would come to this name, they would write something that was a close approximation. And when they did so, the, the scribe would throw away his quill, get a new quill, write the name of God, then throw away that quill and get another and continue to write out the Scriptures. He would also, as he did this, after writing the name, he would go ritually bathe himself and cleanse himself to proceed on from the script, writing the Scriptures. But the name of God... Declare uh, the name of uh, the name declares God to be the self-existent God, the unchanging God. Newberry defines its significance as He is He that was, He that always is, and He He ever is to come. Revelation one eight says it this way: God, uh, Jesus says, "I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending." I saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Here it's that. It's the same concept. He is the ever-constant, ever-present God. It is the name that declares God is eternal and the permanent one. God did not come into existence or was brought into existence. God always was. And because He always was, He needs nothing from us. He is the self-existent one. He exists completely and entirely of Himself. He is from eternity past and He will be to eternity future. There has never been a moment when He was not and there never will be a moment when He will not be. He is L-O-R-D. He is Yahweh. He is Jehovah. However you pronounce it, He is the eternal God that always is and always was. He is a permanent God. But notice also, He is a powerful God. Notice what He says Blessed be the Lord, God. The word God here, so, so it has the tetragrammaton there, the, the name of Jehovah, then it has the name God beside it. You know, uh, this is the first name given to God. As a matter of fact, it goes all the way back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. That's what this word is here. It's the same word, Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim is a, a word that distinguishes God as mighty. 
as powerful. A God that has power over creation. A God that has power over continents. A God that has power over creatures. A God that has power over circumstance. He is not, he's not only self-existent, eternal, unending, disconnected uh, from all, in need of nothing, but He is also the omnipotent, all-powerful God. The Apostle Paul put it best in Ephesians 3.20 Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. There is nothing we could ask that is beyond God's power. There is, we can't even begin to think of something that is beyond his ability and power. He is glorious in power. He is a powerful God. There is nothing that I could possibly ask him that he could not do. Here we see he is a permanent God. He is a powerful God. But notice also, he is the personal God. Look at what he says then. Blessed be the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. God, omnipotent, all-powerful God. Then he says, the God of Israel. The last name is the God of Israel. God is not just permanent and powerful. Any of Himself, omnipotent, ever-living, continual throughout all eternity past to all eternity future. But He is a God that has revealed Himself personally. He is a God that you and I can know. He is a God who has relationship with His people. The psalmist is able to cry out to God, uh, to a God that is personal. And that God hear and respond. A God that distinguishes Himself as the God who relates to people. What is the main accusation uh, that, that God had against the people of Israel? That they worship God that have Ears but cannot hear, eyes that cannot see, hands but cannot touch. This is a God that is relatable, that is, that is connectable. There are some who believe, they're called deists, there's some that believe that all things were created, wound up by God at creation and then let loose to wind themselves down, to evolve on its own. That God is not involved in the affairs of men. This Bible tells us of a God that is actively involved in every aspect of your life. It is, he is a God that is so self-existent, so powerful, that He involves Himself in every aspect of your life, Carrie, of your life, Allison, of your life, Peyton, of Weston, every individual here, God is so mighty, so powerful, and so relatable that He's intimately aware of every aspect of who you are. I read the story about a Japanese woman whose heart was yearning for someone on whom to lean. And she said this, I went to the temple and drew lots to see if I could not get some comfort. I opened the little package which fell to me. And inside it said, there is no help for you. Lean 
on your own shadow and go on. I was more desperate than ever. I looked to the great sun by day and to the moon by night and felt that there should be someone somewhere who would care for one so needy as I. Then one day she met a missionary that told her of God's love and of a heavenly father that cared about her and sent his only son to die for her. Tears started rolling down her face as she shouted, I thought there ought to be a God like that. I want to assure you there is a God like that that does care about your aches and pains, your your travels in life, your decisions that you make, your cares, your worries. He intimately is aware and cares for every one of them. Blessed be God. He is a God that cares for every one of us. He is personal. That's why He deserves our praise. And he He is the Lord. He is God. He is the God of Israel. We ought to get on our knees and praise Him for being who He is and what He is. He is a God that is deserving of praise. That's what we see first off in this verse. A God that is deserving of His praise. A God that is distinguished in His person. He is unlike anything in this universe. Thirdly and lastly, He is a God that is distinct in His performance. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, notice this, who only doeth wondrous things. The last phrase is the main focus of what I'd like to share uh, with you. It describes the way in which God does what He does. God is distinct in the way That he does things. Notice first of all. I want you to see the marvel of his works. Notice in verse number 18. It says he only doeth wondrous things. Wondrous. The word is wondrous here means great. It means difficult. Hard. Things too high. Marvelous. Miraculous things. Things thought impossible. That's what God does. When I think of impossible things that God does, I think of the creation of the universe. With all its contours and the chasms of this world, He is the maker of all things. Every time I get near this point, you're going to have to know, as you listen to me preach through the years, you're going to hear some things repetitive just because I like to say them. And when I get around the creation, I love to quote the old black preacher S.M. Lockridge prince of preachers when he summed up the impossibility of God's creative power when he said this God stepped from behind the curtain no, behind the curtain nowhere onto the platform of nothing and spoke the world into existence the reason God came from nowhere was because there wasn't anywhere for him to come from and coming from nowhere he stood on nothing And the reason he stood on nothing was that there was nothing for him to stand on. And standing on nothing, he reached out where there was nowhere to reach and caught something where there was nothing to catch and hung something on nothing and told it to stay there. Then standing on nothing, he took the hammer of his own will and struck the anvil of his omnipotence and sparks flew everywhere. He caught these sparks from the tips of his fingers and flung them into space and bedecked the heavens with stars. And nobody said a word. 
The reason nobody said anything, because there wasn't anybody there to say anything. And so God said himself, that's good. I love it. He is an omnipotent God that created all things. I don't know if you've seen those, those uh, images from the new telescope, that, uh, the telescope recently that's just been launched out that supersedes the Hubble telescope. And the images that have come from that have been mind-blowing in the beauty of the heavens. And when God created all that out there, you know what He said? And He created the stars also. I mean, like that much of the Bible is about all that out there. He is a God of incredible power. What of God's work of redemption? You want to talk about wonders of all wonders. When man was in rebellion, hating God, God loved man so much that He not only devised a plan to redeem man, but He gave His own Son to achieve that plan. We look in, we look in the wonder at, uh, we look in wonder at the manger where God robed Himself in human flesh to live among us, to be one of us. We look in wonder as Jesus Christ, the God-Man, worked many infallible proofs in His lifetime and showed the wonder of God's power and speech through His life. And then the wonder of the cross of Calvary, where God stood by His stood by as his beloved son was brutally murdered that he that the blood price of redemption should be paid in full wonder at the hours of darkness where god turned his back as the sin on the world was placed on jesus wonder at the empty tomb low in the grave he lay jesus my savior waiting on the coming day jesus my lord up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose the victor of the dark domain. And he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. The wonder of the gospel story. The wonder of redemption's power. Oh, the glory of redemption's story. The wonder of salvation. When I think of the wondrous works of God, personally my own heart, God was at His personal best on March the 20th, 1994. As a 21-year-old college student driving in that dove gray Mustang down I-75, as I weighed out eternity in my mind, as the Holy Spirit began to deal with my heart about the coming judgment of God upon my sinful life, it was then and there. God worked the greatest miracle in my life. The wonder of all wonders, He changed my heart. He saved my soul. He brought me to the end of myself to where I may trust Him, His mercy and His grace to save, redeem, convert and indwell my life. Blessed be the God of heaven. He does wondrous things. Wondrous things. If you ever doubt that, if you claim Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior, there is a miracle. I remember a lady from years gone by singing a miracle in me. There is a miracle in every one of us that have been redeemed by God's grace. The greatest power of God's, of God's omnipotence was worked out when He takes an old sinner's heart and a black as a thousand midnights and washes it as white as snow by the blood of Jesus. The miracle of all miracles. Oh, blessed be the God of heaven that does such wondrous things. The marvel of His works 
but then the measure of his works. Look at, look at verse number 18. I skipped over it, but look at this. Who only doeth wondrous things. Only. The psalmist uses the word only when describing the wondrous works of God. The psalmist is saying that everything that God does is wondrous. Everything God does is wondrous. He is saying that in every avenue of His earthly involvement, everything that God does is wondrous. What does that mean for you and me? It means that in everything that God does in our lives, it's without error, without mistake. Every hurtful, painful, confusing, and disheartening circumstance of life is orchestrated by a God that only does wondrous things. I think that can be best seen in the life of Joseph. Joseph found that God only does wondrous things. What did Joseph say every, about everything that had happened in his life? Do you remember the story? How he was thrown into the pit by his brothers, sold as a slave, put into prison, lied about, arrested, mistreated. And yet he says this. But as for you, ye thought it evil against me. But God meant it unto good. To bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Joseph knew. That God only does wondrous things, impossible things, improbable things, even when it's dark, even when I don't understand. This morning I stumbled across some words to a, a poem, I began to research a little bit more about it. I came across the story of Pastor A.M. Overton while pastoring the First Baptist Church of Baldwin, Mississippi. Brother A.M.'s wife went into labor. At the hospital, in a, at a hospital waiting room in 1932, he tensely waited with his two girls and little boy, ages 8 to 12, for news of his wife's delivery of their fourth child. He could have never anticipated what came next. Surrounded by hospital staff, the teary-eyed doctor informed him that both his wife and his child died during the delivery. A few days later, while a beloved pastor friend was attempting to console and comfort the Overton family, this church and the community at this funeral, he saw Overton with a pen in his hand and a little piece of paper writing something during the sermon. After the service was over, his pastor friend asked him what he had written. Brother A.M. handed him the little slip of paper. And although I won't read all of the words, these words graced that page. My father's way may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache. But in my soul, I'm glad I know, He maketh no mistake. He makes no mistake. Why? Why? Because God only does wondrous things. 
And when to you and me it seems like disaster, in the opposite end, on heaven's side, we will look with wonder upon what He has done in our lives. Our God is a wonder-working God. He is a God that specializes in the impossible. Therefore, He deserves our praise. Praise is not confined to these four walls and a a church sign out front. Praise is at the evening table in the morning's light. Praise is in the evening time. Praise is worthy. God is worthy of praise every moment of our lives. He is a God that distinguished His person. I like one of my preacher friends from, I know, not my friend. He's one that I looked up to and was never really close to, but I I love his words. Ain't nobody like Him. Ain't nobody like Jesus. Ain't nobody like my God. There's There's no one like Him. Whatever dank and dismal scene of life is laid before your eyes, I want you to know that the God who only does wondrous things, is working a masterpiece of mercy and love and grace in your life. And oh, like, the, like Gypsy Smith says, don't get over the wonder of it all, everything that He does. Not only saving your soul, but how He intricately weaves our lives together for His glory and our good. He is a God that does wondrous things. Let's stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, I remind you of the Apostle Paul in chapter number 10, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call upon Jesus today. He is is willing and able to save all that call upon Him. Trust Him as Lord and Savior. You've broken God's law. You stand guilty. Your sins are as piled as high as a heaven. But His miracle working power is that those sins can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Come know Him today. You're here today. I want to remind you from God's Word, He only does wondrous things. Those confusing things that you don't understand, He makes no mistake. He knoweth the way that I take. He only does wondrous things. Trust Him this morning. Take that trial. Take that that bitterness. Take that animosity towards God and lay it in His lap. And say, God, I know that I don't understand this, but I trust that You only do wondrous things. And I'm giving this to You. Knowing that someday I'll look back and see Your wondrous hand upon every event. You do that today. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love You. Thank You. For the Lord Jesus, thank you for this, this little slice of beauty by the pen of David. God, I pray. I pray that you would help us to not only hear it, not only see it, but grasp it in our hearts today. God, help us to be reminded in our lives, in this church, you do wondrous things. There is nothing that lies outside of your ability God, you can do great and mighty things. God, we pray for that here at Faith Community Church. I pray that over every family represented in this room, every family that is represented by this church outside of this room. God, you're intimately aware with every happening going on. 
and all these houses around us, all these peoples on this mountain. God, I pray that your glory would be seen in what you're doing in their lives. You'd bring people to the Lord Jesus. You'd work your wonderful acts in this place. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. I know it's not usually an invitation hymn, but I felt like holy, holy, holy ought to be on our lips after we hear such wondrous truth from God's Word. Let's sing this a few verses of this. Holy, holy, holy. Page number 131. Holy, holy, holy. Go ahead, Brother Roger.